I'm definitely excited about uh, where things are at this year when it comes to what's taking place with our HOPE projects. We met last night with Marco and uh, the various uh, regional representatives uh, in each of the uh, churches locally. And it's really cool with a number of the programs that we've got, we actually have events that are sustainable throughout the, throughout the year, which is super encouraging. Um, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Silverado. As Karina said, it was, it was just a great opportunity. I think the dogs definitely broke down some of the walls when it came to some of the emotional and mental challenges that some of the individuals that lived there had. But it uh, really opened some doorways there. It was great seeing the teens uh, running around with the, the different animals. I know Jackie's Bella disappeared for probably about an hour, hour and a half there. And it was amazing not seeing her stressed out about it, knowing that uh, her dog was in good hands with whoever it was at the time. Uh, she did kind of get handed off a few times. But uh, uh, one of the adjustments we will have on the calendar is we are going to be able to list consistently what we're looking to do is have, like, this is, for example, Silverado the first uh, Saturday of each month, uh, the food bank the next Saturday of each month, until we actually have four sustainable programs. So throughout the course of the month, you'll have the opportunity to serve in that capacity and really make a difference in our local communities. Amen? Uh, last week, oh, you know what, actually, some of you needed uh, our, our Transforming Step books, correct? Uh, if you could raise your hands, we'll go ahead and uh, hand those out. Before I get started here, I'd like to uh, just bow our heads and go to the Father in prayer. Oh, Father, i uh, just incredibly grateful to see Vanessa here tonight. I know the last few days have been incredibly challenging for her on a number of different fronts. But, Father, thank you for the word that went out, the word that did not come back empty as we prayed for Brian, uh, who was lost. And it's just amazing uh, just with the little tidbits of information I have, the ordeal that he went through, but the fact that he was found by the search and rescue team, uh, he's healthy, well, and will be home here tomorrow, or actually later this evening. I do you want to uh, add to that, Father, just petition on uh, behalf of Vanessa's mom uh, that uh, she's able to have some great communication here with her, uh, that uh, she'll be able to use this time with her mom just to really solidify uh, the relationship and memories uh, moving forward. And uh, also, right now, Father, would like to pray for Hannah J. Mills, uh, who is going to be having a surgery here uh, Tuesday morning at 730, that things go well there, that uh, you just put the right people in her life to really help with that. And then for each of us, God, as we move forward through the transforming steps, looking at uh, your word, looking to the way that you work in our lives, making that application, and more than any, anything, understanding the sacrifice that took place for us, knowing when we look to Christ... That the thing that I pray first and foremost I see is grace, knowing that Jesus died for me when I was at my worst, that I didn't deserve that at all. But through his sacrifice, his willingness to humble himself, to take on human form, uh, and then to just to succumb to this human life the way that he did so that I can have life to the full. I know I don't speak alone here this evening uh, when, I, when it, it just comes to mind the degree of gratitude that I feel for the love that was expressed 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Father, be with us here tonight. I pray that this is an evening that will draw us each closer to one another and that we truly can glorify you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we took a look at the uh, 
both the good news of Jesus Christ as well as the Word. Most of us have that understanding of what that means for us personally, but it's always good to have that refresher to really take the time to think through both aspects of that and the influence that the Word has in our lives if we're willing to really look to it and apply it. What are the uh, four things that we talk about on a weekly basis here that we hope that the Transforming Steps accomplishes? Anybody tell me what the first one is? To solidify, unify, multiply, and what's the last one? To edify. And I think just even coming in here tonight, the, the spirit of the group, the scene that takes place, again, uh, what went on and up here uh, up front today was incredible seeing our teens as, as a part of our worship ministry up front. Uh, Pray that we uh, are able to see that a lot more often. It's great seeing Ben from uh, behind the sound booth up here. Uh, I, you know, I think you need to break out the fuzzy guitar there, bro. But uh, anyway, so it's great having him up there in that capacity as well. What we're going to be looking at this evening is an area that I truly believe as a congregation we do need to get unified in. And as we look to our relationship with God, what God has done for us personally... The thing that comes, comes to mind for me when it comes to giving is grace. Really having the opportunity to do just that. We are doing things a little bit out of sequence tonight, but uh, the reason for that is, from a regional standpoint, it was talked about the need to really take a look at where we're each at individually when it comes to our relationship with God and how that reflects in different aspects of our lives and our relationship with God, serving God's church, giving to God's church, whatever the case may be, the different areas that Jesus calls us to sacrifice. So with that, I want to go ahead and start us out here this evening. Uh, can we... Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it maybe it was me. Well, we're going to go ahead and start out in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. The uh, title of the message this evening is The Grace of Giving. And what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 15 here is the, the mindset of Paul the Apostle when it came to his relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 15, it reads in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You know, we think of Paul, most of us are familiar with who he is, what it, what it ended up that transpired during that first century or with, with uh, Jesus, Jesus' ministry, the degree of persecution that took place after the fact with those that followed Jesus Christ. We know he was the primary persecutor of the church. We know where that went, read to people being imprisoned and put to death for the beliefs that they had. The thing that I appreciate about Paul was once he developed that relationship with God, the, the depth of understanding of grace, not just on the front side, but we see this incredible progression through his life as he came to a deeper understanding as to what Jesus did for him personally. You see, even when he verbalized, you know, transitioning from the least of, of the apostles, which you would kind of expect from Paul being the Hebrew of Hebrews, having been taught by Gamaliel, and just the progression of his life. But as his life culminated, we know that he made that transition from the least of the apostles to what he viewed as himself as being the worst of sinners. And I think when it comes to whatever it is we do within God's kingdom, 
Whether it's being evangelistic, as we see in the, in the four things that we talk about, as far as multiplying God's church. Whether it's serving in the sound booth, up front singing as an usher, whatever the case may be, understanding the thing that needs to motivate us isn't that it's a means of working our way into heaven, which we know isn't the case. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. But as Paul did, that we really strive to understand what Paul understood, and that was what Jesus Christ did for him personally. As we look to this passage, it says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without an effect. What did grace do to Paul? Grace motivated him. Grace was the thing that changed him. Grace was the thing that enabled him to travel the way that he did, incur all the different challenges that he did throughout the known world at that day, whether it was shipwreck, venomous snakes. I mean, the list, we know the list. It goes on and on and on as the things that he was willing to endure to get God's word out there. Amen? Acts 2, verse 42. What we're looking at here is the grace of giving, grace personified. We see this translated in the uh, early church in Acts 2, verse 42. It reads, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their number the fellowship of those who were being saved. You know, there's a number of things that stand out in this passage to me when... You know, as we came together here this, this evening, just seeing the transition that's taken place here in Southley over the last year and a half, actually feeling like family, seeing deeper relationships, and that sense of awe that these early believers experienced when they came together. I think we can really experience that more and more and more as we grow closer to God, as we get that deeper understanding of God's grace. You know, it says they worship together in the temple each day. And I think because of that interaction and the fellowship that they had with one another, spending time contemplating on what Jesus did for them, it's not a surprise to me, as we go on in verse 47, that as they met each other's needs, as they were there for each other spiritually and physically, the Lord added to their number daily. I don't think it's by chance that you see in verse 46, they worshiped together in the temple each day, and then in verse 47, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's the kind of power there is. That they had because of that understanding of grace, knowing what Jesus had done for them personally, and that devotion to one another. You know, again, the things that we're talking about as far as being able to solidify the foundation we have here, being unified, multiplying, and ultimately the edification that comes with those kinds of relationships with one another. Acts 4, verse 32 says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was on them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field that he owned and brought the money to the apostles. You know, the thing that's interesting about this 
Any of you read through the uh, early church history? There's about 35 volumes. The uh, Anti-Nicene Fathers, the Nicene Fathers, and then the Post-Nicene Fathers. If you can, it's available online. It gives you some great insight as to the early church. And what we see here in the book of Acts, it's interesting. You would think that these were unique situations as to what the brothers and sisters in Christ did to meet needs. You know, we talk about how tithing isn't a commandment in the, the New Testament. But the thing that's interesting is what we see here in the book of Acts carried on throughout the first 300 years of the church. It was amazing how people would sell their property. They would divest themselves of everything if there were needs that needed to be met in the church. And I think sometimes we can look to something like tithe or 10%, and we feel that that is, is such an incredible burden that we're faced with. And I've got some other things I'm going to share about in a little bit here when it comes to even what took place with uh, the, the, Jew, the Jews when it came to their sacrificial system, offerings, and the whole bit, but really understanding when we made Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, ultimately, it was demonstrated in those first few hundred years of the church the way that it needs to be demonstrated in our lives. And that whatever we have is God's. That when we became disciples of Jesus Christ, we surrendered not just our souls to Him, but everything that we have, everything that we are, belongs to Christ. Now, when it comes to grace, in Acts 5, we can take a look at the opposite of grace. In verse 1 of Acts 5, it says, There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do such a thing? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and he died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. And we look at this passage. What happened? What was the issue that Peter took with what went on with Ananias and Sapphira? He lied. And I think this is the thing that's so incredible about what we saw with the first couple of passages we looked in Acts and the contrast that we have here in Acts 5 in that, was there a command here for Ananias to sell his house? Was there any kind of requirement? Now, we saw things done with the right heart, correct? Why would he do things the way that he did? What do you think the motivation was? Recognition? Anybody else? Greed? You know, I mean, here's the thing, though. If it was just greed, did he have to sell the house? Would he have had to give it any of it? But I think the issue is, and this is what we've all got to be careful with, is our motivation behind our giving. Now, for those that don't give anything, I think there's a whole other issue there. 
And I think, you know, each of us need to personally wrestle with where we're at with things when it comes to the grace that has been extended to us and what God wants us to accomplish as a church. But ultimately, I think the thing that was going on with Ananias was he was a people pleaser. He wanted to look good, but without paying the same price that everybody else did. And ultimately, it wasn't a price to be paid. It was his lack of understanding as to what Jesus Christ had done for him personally. Let's go ahead and continue here in uh, the book of Mark. Chapter 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put in every two small copper coins that she had worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty and put everything in, all that she had to live on. You know, we look at the situation with the widow here. Now, obviously, Jesus sat down across from what was going on. Why would you think that is? Wanted to see. I think ultimately, we know that Jesus is a spiritual doctor, right? I think he cared. He wanted to get an idea as to what the spiritual condition of the individuals coming forward was. And I think it was a, a situation, too, knowing that he was going to be passing the baton to his guys here, that they were in there on that level and would be able to make an assessment and help people through the hard issues that we all have to deal with on a daily basis. So much of what Jesus did was demonstrating for his guys heart, whether it was them sending the, the children away and Jesus saying, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? You know, bring the children to me. Having a heart for children, understanding the degree of humility that a child has. I wanted to make sure that his guys were able to embrace that concept. You know, the situation with the rich young ruler. Again, the discussion that took place afterwards. Again, Jesus trying to impress upon them. It's not what goes on on the surface. It's not the motions that we go through. But it's a matter of the heart. Do we love God? Do we love Jesus Christ? Are we grateful that we can have this kind of fellowship? Are we grateful for the impact the Word has on our lives? Are we grateful for the changes in a positive way that we can go through if we apply it? See, if things aren't progressing forward for you, the only thing that you've got to take a look at is what's going on on a heart level that's not allowing you to get into God's Word and make the application so that you can grow and mature, that you can have the kind of marriage that you want or the kind of relationship with your kids that you want or to be able to live a life of purpose. So we know that Jesus sat down to watch. Why? Because he cares. You know, Jesus pulled his guys together because he wanted to make a point. And what was the point that he emphasized here? What was the motivation behind her giving? How did she give? She gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had because on a heart level, she knew that God would take care of her. And I think when, when we get fuzzy on our commitment level, ultimately, it's because we've distanced ourselves from God. And there are things that happen. We've all been on the receiving ends of interaction with each other that maybe isn't the most righteous. Uh, things that have been done within our marriages have been hurtful. Things that have taken place maybe in discipling relationships. But you know, one of the things that I've learned through the years, God has yet to fail me. And I know for a fact, He will never do that. I've had issues with people. I know this may come as a surprise at least two or three times in my marriage. You know, there's been those couple of occasions with my kids. 
And you know, there's been issues with other individuals in the church through the years. People that were in my, my life, discipling me, leaders in my life, things that, things that were going on that shouldn't have gone on. But you know, I talked about it. I addressed the individuals involved biblically. I went to other people biblically. Some of the situations were resolved in those issues. Other times, you know what? God wasn't ready. And I just had to wait on God. But I can look back over the last 21 years. God has come through in every situation. You don't give. It's a trust issue. You don't trust God. You don't believe what the scriptures say. If we hold out and we, we don't put God first in this area, again, it's a trust issue in God, faith in God, love for God. Ultimately, though, the thing that we've all got to make sure that we walk away from here tonight is God could care less what goes into that basket that comes around on Sunday. He doesn't care about what goes on with hope or any of the mission work that we do, because if the heart's not in the right place, there's a bigger issue. And if we're going to be here for the long term, if we're going to make it for eternity, if we're going to live a life of impact and press God in every aspect of our lives with everything that is a part of our lives. Amen. Amen. Jesus was concerned for the heart. I wanted to uh, kind of go through a few more details here just to kind of put things in perspective in light of where we are in the world today. You know, out of the uh, seven billion plus people worldwide, and some of you have read the uh, Holy Gospel, and David Blanco gave that to me years ago. And uh, help me out with the numbers on this, David. Our one billion poorest people on the face of the planet live on less than a dollar per day. If I remember correctly, the next billion, taking it out to about two and a half billion, live on two dollars per day. And then there's the rest of us. And I think this can kind of give you a little bit of an idea as to what goes on here locally. The government defines the poverty level in the United States as $22,314 a year for a family of four. I took this a little bit further than what Albert put together for us at the workshop because I think it's a better idea for us to take a look at really what goes on locally. But if someone were to tithe on this level, Based on a gross wage of about $43 a week, giving 10% of our income. And again, I'm not saying that this is where we even need to be. But I think it does kind of put it in perspective in light of where we live and ultimately what we're looking at income-wise here in the South Bay. Median family income in South Bay cities in 2009 was $142,000. That's $2740 per week or $274 per week if we were to tie on it. Look at where we are in relationship to the rest of California. I mean, we're, we're really blessed. Now, granted, it ain't cheap living here. But if we're living here, there's a reason we are. Some of us, you know, the economy being what it is, it may be a little more challenging than it is at other times, but it is a reality. And this takes into consideration Hermosa, Manhattan, Redondo, Lawndale, Bel Air, which I didn't even know existed until today. El Segundo, Alondra Park, Hawthorne, and Torrance. So, and again, keep in mind, that is a median. Within the age group of 25 to 44, can anybody, anybody want to take a guess at what the income level is there? The median? In the ages of 25 to 44. It's actually $200,000. So this median takes into consideration individuals that are 16 years old and obviously on up until, you know, we're a little older. But just thinking through this... Going back to Judaism and what took place pre-Christ's new covenant, you know, when we think of the Old Testament, 10% seems to be the thing that comes up. You know, those numbers are incorrect. 
we take a look at what went on in the Jews during their day, there were actually two tithes during the course of the year. Every third year, there was an additional tithe on top of that. So if you averaged it out, just in tithing alone, they gave about 23% of their income on an annual basis. But that doesn't take into consideration things like what we have in San Antonio. You know, there was 15 major offerings and festivals during the course of the year, three of which were pretty much mandatory as far as getting to Jerusalem and attending. So, you know, we got some travel expense there. you got some meals. you got the money changers to kind of rip you off when you have to buy your offerings if you couldn't bring them in from wherever you were at. And most, most historians believe that the Jews gave somewhere in the realm of 30 to 36% on an annual basis. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't even take into consideration whoever it was that, whose rule they were under, you got taxed on top of that. So you got 36% of your income and then whatever the Romans wanted at this point in time. And I think just kind of putting it all into perspective, we've got the new covenant. We've got Jesus Christ. We've got eternal life. The blood's already been shed for us. And I think really having an understanding of what Jesus has done for us personally and making sure that we, we don't forget the price that Jesus paid for us personally. Amen? Matthew 6, verse 19. says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I've had different issues with this through the years. Where is our treasure? You know, for those of us that are in sales, what's the motivation? Now, I've spent a good portion of my life in the sales end of things through the years. What's the motivation? More money. How many of you are into uh, goal actualization? I'll break that down. If you if goal actualization is putting something out there that you want to achieve. Okay, there, there's a few of you out there. I remember periods of time where I had, you know, the, the next vehicle, whether it was the H2, the Jag, the Land Rover, whatever, on the refrigerator, and then making it happen. And in just different areas, there's that pursuit. But you know, the thing that's crazy about it is whatever you get ever good enough? I mean, this is one of the things that I experienced... You know, I had a $1.4 million home out in Santa Rosa Valley. I had my own vineyard. And all the way through, the thing, it was amazing. You accomplish these things, but I always found myself looking at whatever was going to come next. Even as a disciple, that would slip in there. And ultimately, it can take you out. Jesus is real clear. You can't serve two masters. And we've got to be careful what it is that we're chasing, what it is that we're going after, because all those things do waste away to absolutely nothing. They are meaningless in the grand scheme of things. So where is your treasure? You know, it goes on in the passage, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You know, what is your treasure? What does Jesus say? Do not store up treasure on earth, but where? In heaven. What is your treasure? You know, what do you value? What are your eyes looking at? What are you dreaming about? And it's not to say that 
excelling isn't a bad thing. You know, I believe Jesus calls us to do everything excellent, as if we were doing it for the Lord. We know the scriptural passages to deal with that. But is the motivation to do it for Christ, or is the motivation to do it for self? You know, we've got to be careful that we don't serve and love money rather than serve and love God. Let's go ahead and continue here. Benjamin Franklin has a quote that says, Money has never made man happy, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more one wants. It really becomes one of these endless chases. I know before becoming a Christian, you know, you get into the whole climb the ladder thing, the brass ring, and all I remember is I get there, I was like, oh my gosh, man, I'm at the top, but guess what? i got to put out the next extension because whatever was there wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. It didn't satisfy. It's because there was no real purpose other than making the bank account larger. And, you know, in the bottom line, when, when it comes to Americans, we know how it goes. What happens with the income we make? We spend it. We spend it. I mean, when we when we were we were at our best financially, we spent what we made. And I, you know, I'm grateful for Crown Financial. It's kind of helped me put things into perspective as to making sure that I give to God first and foremost. But I'm also planning for that rainy day. I mean, I want nothing more than to be at a point where. I'm able to do whatever I want to do for God's kingdom, travel wherever I want to travel, help in whatever capacity I have, give it all up. Because I've seen the meaning in that. I've seen the purpose behind that. And I've seen what an encouragement that can be to others, just as those that have come before me that helped usher me into the kingdom. You look at the sacrifice of the brothers and sisters that came across the continent and established these churches, given up their, 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 their jobs, their professions. I mean, doctors, dentists, on so many different fronts. Guys like uh, Dr. Mark Ottenweiler in in, uh, Africa. You know, really making a difference. And we all have the ability to have that kind of an impact, whether it's here or abroad. So what is your treasure? 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Can I get somebody to read uh, 1 through 15 for me? Then we'll break it down. Second Corinthians nine verse one. Darren. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows 
Amen. You know, this is such an incredible passage on so many different fronts when it comes to what goes on with the heart. But we see the love here of these brothers and sisters. We see the trust that they have in God. If you look at the screen behind me, it just kind of breaks it all down. Verses 1 through 2, that exemplary earnestness and eagerness and enthusiasm. That they're ready, they're prepared in verses 3 through 4. Verse 5, they generously given this gift, and it wasn't grudgingly. It was out of that enthusiastic heart, not sparingly, but generously. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, given with a cheerful heart. And ultimately, again, I think that trusting ties in. We see it there in verse 8 where it talks about how God will take care of our needs. God will meet those needs. You know, that God is generous with us, with us, and He wants us to be generous as well. So that we can really exemplify Christ to others. Ultimately, closing out there in verses 12 through 15, realizing that we're giving supplies for others. That it creates a thanksgiving to God. People are grateful for the impact that we can have as we live like Christ. Each and, one of, each and every one of us individually. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We're going to take a look at the grace of giving. It says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You know, these guys probably fell somewhere in the realm of what we talked about earlier when it comes to what takes place in some of these third world nations, yet what did they do? You know, did they make excuses about their situation, their living conditions, how bad they had it, how tight that they were? No, they totally stepped up on a heart level and they met the need. It says, for I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You know, the, the, the things that he talks about here as far as excelling in, you know, what about our faith, you know, our relationship with God? What about our speech? What's it seasoned with? What do we talk about? You know, do we, are we out there sharing about the impact that Jesus Christ has had on our lives? You know, the thing that's awesome is we've got men and women who are about to make that commitment that are sitting with us here this evening to making Jesus Christ Lord of their lives because there are members of our congregation that do just that. They excel in their faith. They excel in their speech. But what's one of the other things that we're called to do here as well? Excel in our giving. If we continue in verse 8, I think Paul establishes here again, just this getting back to this being on a heart level. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, we really need to contemplate on that for a minute. What did Jesus do for us personally? I mean, look at what he gave up. I mean, it blows my mind that he could come down from heaven, take on what, for some of us that are a little bit older, these bodies that 
start to go downhill a little bit with time, that he was willing to give all that up, take on that degree of poverty so that we would become rich. And for me, ultimately, it's that separation on the cross. I can't believe, knowing that he had a relationship with God for all of eternity, that he was there in the beginning, he was part of the creation, and then to be thrust into darkness because of our sin. What an incredible sacrifice. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At this present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality as it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. You know, I think there's a reason to talk about this, in that just even thinking through what we do as a congregation, do we all pretty much not benefit the same with being a part of this fellowship? Are all of our kids part of our kids' kingdom? You know, do we all have the opportunity to have discipling relationships? You know, to be taught, to, to grow, mature, so many different things that we have here in this group. But what is Paul talking about here when it comes to the givers? The members of the church. Equality. And is it equitable if there's a small percentage of the group that's picking up the overall burden financially for the church? I mean, we all have the same benefits. And it's not a matter of, again, throwing a percentage at this, but really taking a look at where we're at with our incomes and asking ourselves, is this where our treasure is? And really thinking that through. Again, no one's telling you what you need to give. But I think to be able to come in here on a weekly basis and not contribute to the likes of special missions or not contribute to the work of the church, there's a real problem with that. And it's not fair to the congregation as a whole for those that really are sacrificial. And there's many men and women in here that are just that. But I do feel like this falls within the realm of what we've talked about as far as solidify, multiply, unify, and edify. We all need to be willing to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? As we continue, you know, what is it that Paul talks about here? Excelling in grace. Understanding that there are, these individuals were subject to severe trials and extreme poverty, but what did it manifest itself in? Overflowing joy and rich generosity. And ultimately what it got down to is they were given to the Lord first. So as Paul talks.